Welcome to Mission Minded, the podcast where we explore outside-the-box thinking in carrying out Christ's Great Commission. On today's program, we are joined by Ted Essler, president of Missio Nexus. Our sponsor for today's podcast is Dignity Roasters Coffee, locally roasted and packaged by the distressed to fuel each day. Dignity Roasters was born through a passion to partner with the distressed and the desire of bringing the universally loved beverage of coffee to your hands. To order your own coffee or to learn more about Dignity Roasters, visit their website at DignityRoasters.com. Now here's your host, Jim Tingler. Hi and welcome back to the Mission Minded Podcast. I'm Jim Tingler along with Ted Essler today. Hey Ted. Hey, how you doing? Good to be here. Hey, glad to have you here at iTech Studios and uh, look forward to a conversation. Absolutely. So Ted, for those who might not know, I'll allow you to introduce yourself and, sure. and talk a little bit about your work and maybe briefly what you're doing now. And then you have a very intriguing history. So maybe we'll jump back to All that. Right. But first, so I'm the president of an organization called Missio Nexus, and we are essentially like a trade association for the mission agency and globally focused church world. And so we do events and conferences and all sorts of activities to tie together the mission community. If you were to add up all of the missionaries and all of the staff of our members, it amounts to about 30,000 people. Wow dispersed all around the world, and uh, many of the agencies that you've heard about or know about are members of Missio Nexus, like iTech. iTech's one of them, Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. So it, it's really networking yes. for people involved in mission. Yeah, many of us are trying to solve very similar problems, and we're trying to break down those organizational silos, get people in the same room together that are trying to figure out the same things, and we do a lot of uh, shared learning events and activities and, uh, you know, best practices, things along those lines. So is it just organizations or churches, individuals? Yeah, we have organizational membership is probably our primary thing. Uh, we have a, a, about 120 church members as well, and that's maybe our fastest growing segment. And then we also have uh, individualized me- membership and probably right now maybe 250 individual members. Yeah, and with a membership, you have different types of benefits. That's right. Content. We we have, you know, like a lot of different um, associations, we have some what I call hard benefits. Uh, we run a large group health plan for organizations and churches. Um, then we have an annual co- conference that draws about a thousand mission leaders every year. Then we have, you know, I, there's 25 of them, so I won't go into all of them. But probably the more important things are the soft benefits, and those are the relationships you're going to make when you attend an event or something like that. Yeah, that's great. Even right now, media, you you get a membership. Yeah, if you join Missio Nexus, you're on right now media's. It's good stuff. And and you've been with Missio Nexus for five years now, right? Yeah, about five and a half years. Mm -hmm. Okay. But before that, maybe we'll, okay, so that's where you are today. Yeah. But you've been involved in the work of mission for a long time. So maybe let's rewind back to how that became a a full-time focus. Sure. So I'm an old cadger, so it's been a really long time. But uh, back in 1988, my wife and I, uh, fairly newly wed, I was running a computer consulting company. Uh, We went to church on a Sunday morning, and there was a kind of an old-timer missionary. And he'd been working in the Philippines among headhunters. And he was sharing his story. 
and it was so intriguing to me because I had so little exposure or understanding that there even were missionaries in our modern era. So afterward, I went up and introduced myself, and we started talking, and one thing led to another, and I found myself in the perspectives course. And um, I like to joke about the fact that, in, in, so I was living in Minneapolis at the time, and in 1988, if you took the perspectives course, that uh, first or second week, the story of his glory was taught by this unknown Baptist pastor uh, that you might know today as John Piper, and uh, that course really impacted us. And um, eventually, we felt that God was moving us, um, you know, from our current roles. Uh, my wife worked in a hospitality research institute, and I was doing computer consulting. We thought God wanted us to work in full-time ministry. And uh, we, it's, it's just a long story, I won't go into all of it, but the short of it is, we found ourselves heading toward the former Yugoslavia, and uh, initially planned on, in 1990, going to Yugoslavia. But, of course, there was a, a little problem there. It resulted in the Balkan Wars that lasted about five or six years uh, from that point on. And uh, we moved. Uh, we couldn't actually live in where we wanted to go, which was Sarajevo. In 1992, we found ourselves in Croatia. And the language between Bosnia and Croatia is essentially the same. There's some small differences, but we decided that we would move in and just start learning language and culture. And we arrived when the UN arrived, essentially. I mean, the, the, the war had been raging in Croatia, mostly between the Serbs and the Croats. And the UN came in, sealed off active fighting, the front was, I don't know, 15, 20 miles south of where we lived. Uh, we were in the city of Zagreb. And um, over the next few years, uh, did language school, worked with some local churches there, and really just learned more than anything else. Built a team, and then in 1996, the Dayton Peace Accords were signed. And we moved with NATO into Sarajevo and into Bosnia. And, um, you know, it was a terrible time to be a a Bosnian. The war was horrific. Uh, but if you were there to serve people, and uh, particularly in the name of Christ, there was real opportunity. So it was a great time to be there to be able to love and serve people. Hmm. Now, how old were you at this time? And do you have a family? Just yeah. When we first moved over, uh, we had uh, three little kids. And uh, soon after we arrived in Croatia, my wife um, was pregnant again. And we ended up, because it, the situation there wasn't great with the war, we decided to come home to have our fourth. And uh, then a couple years later, we had our last child, and that one we had in Croatia. And that was just a few months before we moved uh, to Bosnia. And so my little, little girl uh, was about uh, three weeks old when we made our first drive into Sarajevo. Wow. And, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy that they had no garbage collection for three or four years. Mm. There was piles of burning debris everywhere. Over a million mortar rounds had fallen in the city. There almost wasn't a single building that didn't have some kind of damage uh, from the war. And um, back in those early days, uh, it really felt kind of like the wild, wild west. Uh, we had to be careful. Um, 
about you know where our kids would go play. There were landmines everywhere. Um, you know, at the same time, there were hundreds of thousands of people living there still. And we could speak the language, and we knew people in the culture that informed us when things were potentially going to be dicey. Um, I, I never felt like we were in great danger. It sounds like that when you explain the situation we moved in, but the truth is um, we never really were. You now, it could have potentially gotten dangerous. Uh, we were around, you know, some some a little bit of shooting and a little bit of, you know, things things did happen on occasion. But again, I would just remind you that there were hundreds of thousands of people living there already at the time. So the the church there had suffered, and uh, we worked with a small group of existing believers that had essentially been whittled down to just a very small handful of people and organized Bible studies and worked with the Croatian Baptist Union. And we saw a church get started, restarted really more than anything else. And um, teammates uh, involved as well. Within a year or two, there were uh, about four congregations going. Oh, praise the Lord. And I'm sorry, w- were you sent out of an organization? Yes, we were with Pioneers. Okay. Uh, Pioneers uh, tries to focus on those places uh, with the fewest churches and Christians. And, you know, Bosnia, you know, even before the war, there, were a f- there was a handful of fledgling churches there, but overwhelmingly unreached. And Sarajevo, of course, was a Muslim city. It became more Muslim during the war as Serbs and Croats left. Um, and, you know, even today it would be more uh, Muslim than it was uh, before the war. Hmm. The story of that time actually was written into a book. Is that correct? Yeah, we wrote a little book called Overwhelming Minority. Okay. And, uh, you know, I think the thing to remember about ministry in a place like Bosnia, you know, that the Serbs are traditionally Orthodox Christians and the Croats are traditionally Christian, I mean, Catholic Christians. And um, Protestantism, evangelicals, that that really wasn't something that was real well known in the region, obviously, but um, the Bosnian Muslims saw that the way that they saw things was that this was a war fought by Christians against them. And so, you know, you not only had to explain the gospel, but you had to also overcome this idea that uh, Christianity represented the enemy of the state. And, um, you know, that was rough going. Um, However, there was an unusual openness for just a couple years right after the war ended. And we were blessed to see people get baptized and saved. We saw Serbs, Muslims, and Croat background people all come together in a fellowship. Um, It wasn't without problems. It would be incorrect to portray it as this happy little Christian band where everything was forgiven and we just move on from there uh, because there were deep hurts. And, uh, you know, we dealt with that in the life of the church. There were also, uh, it's important to point out, there were indigenous partners and culturally near partners that were, um, you know, more effective, really, than we were as, as uh, complete outsiders. Um, but all that together, we document that in the book. We talk about that in the book. Hmm. And that's, uh, that's on Amazon, right? Yeah, you can buy that on Amazon. That's good. So that, that's one chapter, but then 
moving back stateside, you had a whole other chapter yeah, of your life. We did. So um, as it got toward two thousand, the year two thousand, you know, our kids had pretty much grown up in war zones. Wow. We felt like they needed a year, probably more than that, in a place where there was a little more normality. And so we decided that we were going to relocate uh, back to the U.S. And Pioneer said, you know, we have this new office that came into Pioneer's um, when another mission agency merged in with us. Would you mind moving to Canada and taking that over? And uh, part of our plan on moving back was to get a little more theological education because I came out of the business world. I'd never really experienced that. And so um, they said, you can go to school while you um, manage this office. And so that's what we did. We moved to Southern Ontario, and I worked with a Canadian office there. And uh, it was fun to kind of boot up a recruiting base in Canada and uh, did that for three years. And then we made the move down to Pioneers USA which is a much bigger office. Now, when we, when we joined Pioneers way back in the day, back in uh, 1989, there were about 120 missionaries. And uh, today, you know, there's globally, there's over 3,000 some. And so it was a time of massive growth. And uh, from about 2003 up until I took on this role at Missio Nexus, I was working in some way, shape, or form as uh, one of the executives at Pioneers USA. And, um, you know, there we recruited missionaries. We fundraised for uh, projects globally and uh, just took care of missionaries on the field. Um, just a great experience. It's a great organization. Yeah. And so what, what is the goal of Pioneers? Well, Pioneers, their, their focus is really to plant churches where there are the fewest Christians and the fewest churches. And so their focus is on the unreached. They were really born um, after the challenge of uh, the Lausanne uh, 84, uh, consult, uh, I'm sorry, 74 consultation in which Ralph Winters really highlighted the, the concept of the unreached people group. And uh, that, that really is the, the air that's breathed at Pioneers. It's what are we gonna do to get the unreached reached? So that's, that's the focus. Yeah, and that's... Um there's, I mean, they've got a great website that, that lays out the vision and yeah. how you can be involved in that as well. Yeah. So, great, you know, great people. Uh, I, I just, you know, can't say enough good things about Pioneers. It's a really well-run uh, operation. So you're, I mean, when you first, 1989, how old were you? Oh, come on, man. You put okay, me on the sorry, spot. No, sorry. no, you can do that. You yeah, can do that. Yeah. I was 26 years old. 26, and then we'll let people do the math for where you are today. But your entire career, you know, I guess is, you know, the, the normal working career yeah. has been spent yeah. in, in great commission work. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, just uh, about a week and a half ago, I don't know when this will air, but about a week and a half ago was my 39th anniversary from when I came, became a follower of Christ. Wow. And uh, so from, I'm 58 now, so 32 years I've been engaged in the world of global missions. That's great. So for a listener out there that might be interested in saying, all right, God, um, I don't feel like that's my, my calling. I mean, that, that might seem like a huge mountain in front of them and they're trying to wrestle with, all right, God, what role do you have for me in this? As we're all called to participate in the Great Commission, uh, what advice or challenge might you give to that person? You know, I, I, I told you my story. I would give a shout out to that Perspectives program. Mm. If, if, if that's available in your area, and it's, 
it's available now in a lot of places. I can think of no better intro for somebody to uh, to take. I mean, a short-term mission trip is is you know it's a great exposure, obviously, as well. But that perspectives course gives you the breadth um, of understanding with the section on the biblical mandate of mission, the history of mission, and then the st- uh, strategic section. All three of those combined. Um, it's just really good, I think, as a first step. So that'd be yeah. the, that'd be a thing I'd recommend first. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually going through the online course right now, perspectives.org. So there is a local course. I mean, here in Ocala, Central Florida, uh, there's a lot of people on the iTech team going through it right now. Uh, but for those that might not have the course available, there is an online option. So perspectives.org. So yeah. it's good stuff. It's a great first step. Yeah, yeah. So perspectives is one. That were you did I did I cut you off? Were you about to mention something else? No, I I think the other thing you know I just mentioned short term. Uh, you know we live in a world today where anybody can just easily travel. Now I know there's there's COVID, so you can't right now. But I would expose yourself to uh, you know what's going on around the world by actually going and seeing firsthand. And I always like to kind of sell people up and, and suggest that instead of going to a place that's fairly Christian or fairly reached already. Think about places, think about visiting some places where there are fewer Christians in fewer churches. Um, you know, you might think about the Middle East um, as an example, um, parts of Asia. Um, it just, there's something different about standing on a rooftop and looking out at a city, maybe of, you know, 5, 10, 15 million people, and realizing that most of the people uh, that live in that city will never have a meaningful relationship with a believer who can talk about Christ and what he mean, what he or she, what Christ means to him or her. And so, um, you know, I think that's another good exposure thing uh, to do. Um, but then, you know, the scriptures starts with, with the Great Commission and ends with the Great Commission. And um, be, be on the hunt as you read the Bible to see that the story of of redemptive history unfolds in the pages of scripture all the way through it's not simply matthew 28 19 and 20 and uh, we get into trouble i think when we reduce the concept of the great commission to just a couple of verses um, and compartmentalize it as you know something that just a few people do it really is core to the whole message of the bible so you know again be on the hunt for the great commission as you study and read the scriptures yeah, I was even just thinking through describing you being on the field and in a war zone, uh, just the comparison to the spiritual warfare you probably encountered. Uh, what what did you do to stay consistent? Did you have specific things that you knew, hey, this has to happen for me in order to stay filled and, and focused um, as you encountered different spiritual warfare? Well, I would just, you know, I just got to start with a disclaimer that I, I didn't always stay filled. And, um, we, you know, we were there in a time, it was so full of activity. It's, when I look back on it now, it's mind-boggling. And we edged toward burnout numerous times. And, I mean, again, I wish I could say that, you know, yeah, we got up every day and we had an hour in prayer and then we had a 45-minute Bible reading time and then took communion together and, it didn't work like that always for us. Um, on the other hand, um, when you're in a situation like that, the reality 
of um, spiritual pain is so uh, it, it's it's you can almost touch it and grab hold of it, and so that certainly drove us uh, to reliance on God. And the other thing I would say is, you know, ministry is a team sport. We had an awesome team around us, and the encouragement. I'm thinking particularly of um, one or two team members as I say this, but. Uh, the encouragement of other believers, I think, is is a key to longevity in ministry. And when you're on the mission field, it really does there a spirit of camaraderie and uh, kind of that. Uh, I mean, you got to remember in the New Testament, it was the missionary band out there working together. And uh, that's probably the dynamic that I miss most about my life now versus being on the field was uh, just the incredible depth of the spiritual relationships we had as, t- as team members. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, yeah, I can imagine that. I mean, we just get caught up in the motions. I know um, I've just recently been just studying Proverbs a lot and just that tension of, you know, the, the diligent and, and trying to uh, work hard versus the contrast to the sluggard. And I think there's certain personality types that bend towards yeah, let's get it done. Um, rather than just pause and be still and know God, you know, I, it, it, there's always a tension because there's always something more to do. Hey, let, let me just interrupt you. So I'll tell you about one thing we did do on the mission field. This is going to shock some of your, your listeners. Okay. I'll probably have to ask forgiveness for it too. But, um, you know, we were caught in a whirlwind of activity and also people, so in our Western context, if I was to visit your house, we'd set that up ahead of time. It'd be like an appointment. Not so much where I was living. So we had con- a constant stream and flow of people through our home, like all the time. So we ended up buying a small sailboat that was parked on the Croatian coast. And we would take long weekends away, uh, usually once, at least once a month, and we would extract ourselves from the intensity of the day-to-day ministry. And that kind of solitude and that kind of withdrawal, um, I'd say it kept us sane. Hmm. And um, it, it, it doesn't sound like the typical missionary activity, I realize. But whatever it is that you need to do to withdraw and have time away, to me that's really a key toward, toward making it in the long run. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, actually going through a book. I believe it's called the Spiritual Survival Handbook for Cross-Cultural Mission. Uh, I think Pioneers puts it out. Yeah, they do. And that's one of the first things they, they say that it, you have to find that time to get away, uh, to isolate, to pray. Uh, because we, I, I, And I, I really related to that because I have a tendency to just go, go, go and not just pause and, and get away. Yeah, I'm actually, I just read uh, Ruth Haley Barton uh, put out a book in 2018 called Spiritual Leadership. And chapter one is all about solitude. And the, the, one of the things she says in that book that I really appreciated is that, especially in leadership, to know oneself is so important. And you don't really, we don't stop and think about who we are. Um, unless we unless we're purposeful about it and uh, that's one of the one of the many benefits of solitude that she talks about in this book spiritual leadership which is a good read by the way 
um, is, is that when we get solitude, we reflect on, on how we react to others, how, how our emotion, the state of our emotional being, etc. And I'm making the application and taking a, a full day away this, this month, and I'm going to start putting it in the schedule regularly. Good. It's just on there. So what is uh what does a retreat look like for you now in this season of life? Well, uh in this season of life uh with COVID, um you know, we've had to learn how to retreat at home, I'd say more than anything else. Um I I mean pre-COVID I was probably traveling 40 40 um, let's say 40% of my time. And I think during the COVID uh shutdown phase, I've learned how uh, well, for one thing, I do miss the travel, but I also would say I'm not going back to that level of travel in the future. And my wife and I have worked hard to make our home a place of retreat. Um, you know, we, we, we're big into hospitality. I, I have a, we have a personal ministry philosophy that hospitality is the killer app when it comes to loving other people into the kingdom and into deeper relationships with Christ if they're already in the kingdom. Um, and so, you know, I would say that we've invested to make our home a place where, one, we can we can give a lot of hospitality to people. We have eight coming next week for a whole week. Um, that's a little extreme, but that's happening next week. It's my wife's uh, brothers and sisters. All right. Yeah. Um, but the second thing would be also it, it being a place of retreat. Now, we're all working from home now. I have right. a home office. Um, how do I retreat? Well, you know, I'm, I, I, I like hobbies. I'm actually big on hobbies. Okay. Um, play guitar. All right. A um, couple different types of guitar. Just picked up uh, Mountain Dulcimer. And music for me is probably the primary way that I really feel spiritual refreshing and, and kind of withdrawal. So that so that's one thing that I do. But I have lots of other hobbies, too. Um, and and I would say, you know, I talk to some of these ministry leaders and they're, any question you ask them ultimately leads back to um, the job, you know. And when your job is ministry, you got to work to not let that become your identity. Your identity is supposed to be in Christ, not right. your ministry role. And so um, I, I always encourage ministry leaders. I'll, I, I almost always ask in the icebreaker phase of the, of the conversation, what do you do for fun? What's your hobby? The one answer I never take is, is a good one. Is it this? Well, I like to read. And, you know, I like to read, too. I, I, I would venture to say that I probably read more than the average uh, person. But um, a lot of times I think that's a dodge. And then I, so I'll lean in further. And I say, well, what do you do besides reading, especially if they're ministry books, to just recreate? And recreate means to recreate. And uh, so anyway, that's a long answer to your short question. Sorry. No, it's good stuff. I have uh, one one question, and this is probably a can of worms. Um, and this goes back to our current season of, of COVID and the unknown. But with the limitation on travel and the effect that it's happening, you know, on short term mission, uh, what do you see in the next few years, um, the, the ripple effect of that? Well, um, you know, I would just preface that by, first of all, the mission agency members of Missio Nexus. So we have 325 plus mission agency members, and we've been researching where things are at post-COVID. 
one of the amazing things that's come out is how few of them have suffered financially and how many of them that are mission sending organizations are seeing a spike in sending right now. Uh, but the one area that's really taken it on the chin is that whole short-term uh, ministry arena. Right. And I think there are a few small organizations that have uh, decided to essentially freeze all operations and they're not even sure they're going to reopen. Uh, but many are in a holding pattern, and I think their anticipation is that they're going to be up and running as soon as COVID levels come back to reasonable levels. I'm going to tell you my, my personal view is that uh, some of the restrictions on travel and visas that we're seeing because of COVID are probably going to stay in place, particularly in countries that uh, don't want to have missionaries visit them. And I don't believe we're going to have the same situation in the years to come. Um, now, many of the places that short-term teams like to go, I'd call them the more accessible places. I think they'll probably be open for business. Um, you know, for better, for worse, uh, it's a fact that there's a few countries in Central America that receive thousands of short-term missionaries. Um, and just it really quick in passing, let me say that's a strategic issue that we should be thinking deeper about in the church. But those economies have suffered because the short-termers aren't arriving now. So it's created an economic hardship because it's been a significant GDP source. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it'd be maybe a good thing that some of that didn't return. So, you know, we'll see what God does in the long run. There's been some surprises here. So I don't think anybody should speak with a lot of confidence, but I doubt we'll return to the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we're all still guessing, but yeah, I think we are too. It's, uh, so I, I'm, I'm in the process because of COVID. So it used to be that I could never get a hold of CEOs because they travel so much, but because COVID has so many of them grounded, I'm actually trying to call all 320 plus CEOs and have a half hour zoom call with all of them. And I'm a few weeks into it and I'm learning a lot. Um, about what's going on out there. One of the things that I have uh, have seen is that they're all trying to figure out what uh, the return looks like. Does it, you know, some, I talked to one yesterday, uh, two to 300 missionaries, so kind of a medium-sized agency, and almost all their people are back in the field already. Now that's because they don't work in a place like China and some of these countries that, again, I don't think you're gonna see the return happen. Uh, but most agencies are in the process of trying to figure that out. But there is no consensus emerging about how fast and, um, you know, what the breadth of that's going to look like. Yeah, to be determined. Yep. So I figured you had a good pulse on what's going on as, as you have connections with so many people, at least maybe more of an educated guess, but yeah. worth we're, a shot. We're all, we're all guessing. We're still. all guessing. Yeah. yeah. So as we wrap up here, uh, you know, each podcast, the goal is let's have a conversation with somebody involved in great commission work. And imagine that listener out there that's wrestling with what role do I play? You have any final thoughts of encouragement for that person? Yeah, I would just say, you know, this COVID era will pass. Uh, we will return to some normalcy. Uh, good time for us to reflect uh, and think about what we really want out of life. I can tell you that, uh, you know, I had a fairly lucrative uh, computer consulting career uh, in front of me. Um, and I and I actually, I continue to miss it. I love that world. It was a lot of fun. Um, however, 
the the experiences that God has given me uh, by choosing to go into the Great Commission world, uh, has, it's, it's just far surpassed what you might imagine. Never feel sorry for a missionary because they uh, they are just blessed to re, to receive uh, such joy and uh, you know and of course in the midst of suffering at times, but um, just. I'd say go for it because for me it's just been an incredible blessing. Well, thank you, Ted, for joining us. You bet. Well, thank you for joining us as well on this episode of the Mission Mining Podcast. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Mission Minded. For more information on today's topic and show notes, please visit our website, itechusa.org. Mission-Minded Podcast is produced by iTech. The goal of this podcast is to inspire conversations about Great Commission participation. The views, organizations, and individuals represented, interviewed, and discussed on the podcast do not necessarily represent an official position or formal partnerships with iTech.